Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am not joined by Don Pizzette this week, who we've allowed oh him to travel the country. I but just realized that. <laughs> just, it's, it's, I realized it before because yeah. you told me to come in here yeah. and sit in for him. And th- yeah, that's Adam Gordon who hey we everybody. have sitting in for Don this week. Adam, welcome to the show. Just call me Don. All right, will do. And uh, don't worry, there is some uh, semblance of stability. We have Daniel Lowry still, as uh, always. Daniel. I, I am back. Yes, I had last week off, if I'm not mistaken. You, was it the week two before? weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Was that was I back for the last one? I, mean, I don't you, remember. You didn't provide much, but uh, <laughs> I didn't provide. but this is a tough week for Daniel because he's actually got to read the articles that we're talking ah, about. Ah, so. man, reading's hard. Yeah, and we are also joined uh, via the internet. Uh, I don't know what technology we're using uh, by Doug Murray, who is the CEO at Vaultix. Doug, how you doing? Doing great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. Where Where are you guys located? Uh, we're based in in the Bay Area. Technically, our headquarters is in Santa Clara, uh, and I've actually never been to the office. Okay. Yeah, we did. We, that is a green screen uh, that you're in front of. So that that's what the office looks like. You're told. Oh, so Spoiler alert. Allegedly. Yeah, we're actually going to talk allegedly, about that. Allegedly, yeah. That's, that's one of our I'm questions. Paying for, for it. I don't... I'm paying for it. Yeah, I should. I should really see this place. Send me postcards. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump right in with our first segment for today, which is rapid fire questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, so I'll start uh, with the easy one. Basically, we'll just kind of go through uh, five questions here. You got about a minute to answer, and if you take too much time, I will buzz you for taking too much time. But don't worry, I've never actually buzzed. I was about to say, can you just be honest and say you're just going to threaten to buzz it, yeah. but not actually do it? It's the threat of the buzzer. Yeah, the, the don't worry, don't worry. The clock hasn't started yet. This isn't coming out of your time. <laughs> uh, but my first question for you is basically, can you just kind of give us the elevator pitch on Vaultix and and what you guys do? Yeah, certainly. So we're, we're a cloud security company. So as uh, customers move more deeply into public cloud, uh, that creates new challenges, new methodologies, and of course, new threat vectors for, uh, for hackers. And so what we do is we focus on the pain points associated with the network and the application elements within public cloud. And so we built the industry's first uh, NetSec or network security service uh, uh, offering which really focuses as a, a full comprehensive services platform. It's robust, includes things such as firewall, app firewall, uh, DLP, I, IDS, IPS, AV, et cetera. So super comprehensive. And uh, today we're live across uh, AWS, Azure, GCP, and recently introduced Oracle Cloud. Uh, and then finally, I'll share that we, we deliver the platform in a consumption model, so you only pay for what you use. So it's a pay-as-you-go, uh, very cloud-native-like experience. That sounds great. That's a, uh, there's a lot of people in this space, so I, I guess my my question would be: What separates Vaultix from your competitors? What's the thing that really sets you apart? Yeah, I think what what sets us apart is is primarily the the way we address the space and the architecture. I say both of those two are probably the the biggest things. You know, when you look at the space itself, uh, you basically have you know pre Vaultix there were two ways in which people could secure the network and uh, their network instances, VPCs, uh, you know, their accounts, so forth in AWS, Azure, et cetera. Um, and so one way you could do it is you could take a virtual instance of a provider that you're comfortable with on-prem. So a virtual instance of say their firewall and then try to run that in public cloud even though the product was built for data centers and not for public clouds. Um, the alternative is you take a very lightweight offering from the CSPs themselves. So security groups or say a lightweight firewall, but it's really not as much a feature-rich platform. So we serve multi-cloud and have extensive uh, feature set that completely cloud-native. So I'd say that you know, the first thing is the way we look at, at the market. We, you know, we're a cloud-native born in the cloud company. We only operate in public clouds. Um, and then I say the second is the architecture, which... You know, if you're a, a long-time networking person, it may, may resonate with you. For others, you just want to know that it's being done right. But, um, you know, we use the, the key tenets of software-defined networking to build out the architecture. So we take the logical separation of the control plane and the data plane and use that as the way to build the service itself. So the best way to describe that is as an end user, you basically go to the control plane and that's a SaaS service. You create policy. Everything else that happens uh, in your account, which is where security takes place, it's mostly treated as invisible. So we make the user experience incredibly simple. So Doug, you've actually 
probably, I think, answered the question I'm about to ask you, <laughs> sort of. But let, let me throw it out there anyway, and I'll take a different approach with it. So, you know, multi-cloud, you're multi-business, right? You've been in some of the biggest businesses in this in this sector. You've been associated with Juniper. You were at Big Switch. You were involved with FireEye early on. What, what brought you to Vaultix and really made you think this was a place not only you could land, but you could do something incredibly innovative in our industry and really make a, a big splash with it. So what's going on with Vaultix that really excites you and makes you want to be there? Yeah, I'll, so a lot of things. So, uh, so uh, I'll share, we, we sold Big Switch going into 2020, so pre-pandemic. And uh, that was a, a great run, started uh, basically pre-revenue and took it all the way through. Phenomenal learning experience and some really cool technology and a great team. So for me, the starting point with Vaultix is the team. So the three founders, uh, Vishal, Vijay, and Praveen are in the networking world, they have just phenomenal reputation. Uh, they've built uh, products today to generate in market billions of dollars in revenue. So they kind of know the patterns, right? And so, um, you know, the team is is phenomenal. And um, and we, we pretty much speak the same language because we come from from the same world. So I'd say that's probably the, uh, the first thing. Um, the second is the space itself. So when I, when I was looking at what I wanted to do next, uh, clearly it was going to be in the cloud. Right at Big Switch, we did very much big focus on uh, cloud-like experience on-prem, and then eventually a hybrid uh, experience. I knew whatever I was going to do, I wanted to be purely public cloud. You know, I see that as the future. Uh, the last decade was dominated by the you know, entrance and growth of, of the public cloud providers, and uh, to me, it's clear that the uh, cloud providers have have won. Um, and so, because of that, I, I want to do something in cloud. So, cloud check security, of course, check a great market to be in. Uh, and then last, consumption models. Uh, I've always been uh, you know, enamored with and, and into that just in terms of, of design. So I'd say you know, that's, a, that's a key part of it. And then uh, the last thing I'll say is just as a serial entrepreneur, I, like, I just like building cool companies. And so this seemed to have the clay, clearly the technical foundation, the first set of customers live across the major public cloud. So I felt like there was a lot of clay to work with here. Running low on time here, but I'll, I do want to ask you just one more question here. You, you mentioned, you know, how great the team is and things, but you came in in the middle of this pandemic. So what is that like and what kind of new challenges does that present to you? Because, you know, you can't go around and, and shake hands with everyone at the company. And, and like you said, you, you haven't really been in the office yet. So what what's that experience uh, been like and how has that created new challenges for you? I think to sum it up, it was, it's, it's been bizarre. <laughs> it's the only way to describe it, but but you're forced to adapt and, and figure out how to make it work. Uh, you know, when we look at the company, this is amazing. We actually, the, the platform went live on AWS, which is where it went live first, uh, literally the month we went in, into shelter in place. So fast forward in time, you know, we have, uh, as I said, AWS, Azure GCP, and now OCI all live. All of that happened during the pandemic. Um, every customer that consumes on the platform today is a customer that we won during a global pandemic. Um, about half the company, the people that have been hired, were all hired during the pandemic. And it, you know, it's created for some very interesting challenges in how you look at culture, how do you uh, look at uh, driving customer adoption in a very unique circumstance. Uh, and I think to a certain extent, it's also created a little bit of a competitive advantage for us in that um, you know, half the management team that I've built out in the last you know, six to eight months, uh, half the team isn't based in the Bay Area. So we can now source talent uh, from literally all over the planet, and I think that is going to serve us well in the in the mid to long term. Well, it's uh, it's nice for the people that don't have to pay rent in the Bay Area. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we we stayed at Airbnb yeah. there, and we we're like, oh, this is a nice little hovel, and it was like one point two million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so let's check this out on Zillow. <laughs> yeah, you you should try the Bay Area in Florida, the Tampa Bay. Oh uh, yeah, get twenty dollars, you can get a, a, a double wide. Yeah, what is that town and country down there? Yeah, that's the really. Beautiful, beautiful place. place. Yeah. Beautiful place. Yeah. All right. Well, while we got you here, we want to dig a little bit more uh, into cloud security. So let's go ahead and jump in uh, to our next segment here, which is science and tech news. Stay tuned for science and technology. And now back to the anchor desk. All right. This article that we're looking at here comes to us from securitybrief.com.au because they have the cloud in Australia as well. <laughs> uh, cloud native computing adoption sees increase in security concerns. And so, uh, you know, Doug, we'll start with you here. Why why are we seeing the increase in concerns? Is that because kind of what you said before that uh, people are coming to the cloud, but they're trying to uh, bring with them the, the uh, 
you know, on-prem kind of security that they've done before? Is that is that kind of what the issue is here? I, so I, I think it's it, it's really, you have to look at where hackers logically will go. So meaning as new capability, as new uh, trends happen in, in IT and infrastructure, the more pervasive something becomes, the more likely uh, uh, you know, that that is to be attacked. And so if you look at the massive uptick in, in uh, public cloud, you know, last year in uh, 2020, for the first time, public cloud spend actually exceeded spend in on-prem data centers. And so because of that, uh, I think many people in the early days of, of the cloud in AWS, Azure uh, and the like, just made this assumption that the cloud must be secure. And I think a lot of people painfully started to realize as you're looking at a new architecture, a new fundamental way to, to uh, address uh, you know, compute and storage, et cetera, that it's just, it's different in the cloud and requires a different form of security. So, and a lot of it is you can't, you can't secure what you can't see. And so just taking virtual instances of something on-prem and throwing it in the cloud typically doesn't lead to the, the best behavior. So that opens the door for hackers. I'm curious about your take on this. So you're absolutely right, right? Private, private cloud is kind of going by the wayside. Public cloud is one. We're seeing more and more adoption. We're also not seeing the uptake and the transference of the security mindset that worked for so long, right, on-premises, right? In other words, we're not applying those same thought processes, the same hygiene, and by extension, things like security DevOps, which should help us to become more secure, is lagging, and common sense things don't seem to apply. Yeah, companies like Vaultix are doing a great job at making security applicable and appropriate and relevant in the cloud but there's a gap. And so how do we square what Vaultix is doing with the lack of ability for businesses to understand how to apply basic hygiene? Because that, that's yeah, where so I, I see I, I, there's a lot of issue, right? I'd say there are a couple things. So, so first and foremost, the cloud by design is totally different, right? It's to a certain extent, there's, it's perimeterless, right? So the standard cookie cutter approach to how you would address a data center with basically ingress to a data center, maybe east-west traffic, uh, perhaps off to the, the, the internet itself, so forth. And the way you do it is very prescriptive. And there are companies that have done an amazing job of owning that category, uh, basically since you know, the late 90s into 2000s, and then the you know, evolution of companies like Palo Alto Networks and FireEye and others that continue to advance us and have done a great job of doing that. I think to a certain extent, you have to take a step back and reimagine what that experience will look like in public cloud. And if you look, if you step aside from security for a moment, you know, you'll note that a lot of traditional on-prem hardcore data center providers really struggle with that shift to public cloud. And that's why you, you, you're really starting to see, and if you look at, as an example, data warehousing or monitoring, you, you basically have the game in public cloud end up being the CSP native solution, and then a solution that is multi-cloud, multi-feature, super feature rich that sits above that, you know, a la Snowflake, Datadog, et cetera. And I believe the same thing is going to happen in security. I, I think it's 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 somewhat inevitable that it's going to materialize that way. You know, you made the comment about how people were moving to, um, you know, out, 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 no more on-prem. We want to go directly into public cloud. And we think that that's going to be a safer thing. What is it that, that makes that a, a reality? Why do people think that prima facie is going to be a safer place to go into yeah. on-prem and not that we're doing the same things we've always done. We're just moving where it's happening. Are they just trusting that the cloud provider is going to add some layer of security that's like a magic wand to them? What, what is going on there? I think it's less the magic wand. It's more that more their experience as they get deeper in their cloud journey. Logically, a lot of the people that I speak with that, that pervasively use public clouds, the, the starting point is, uh, is it DevOps? What compute we're going to use? Are we... Uh, which cloud, which data warehouse, how are we going to monitor, uh, what kind of storage, are we going to use a service from the CSPs, are we going to use S3 buckets, like how, how are we going to configure this? As they finally start to figure that out and get workloads live, then the realization starts to hit, such as I have a, um, in my account, I'm a healthcare provider, and I'm sending traffic to a backup service that's still within Amazon. Wow, technically that data is leaving my account, and it contains patient records, I probably want to make sure the patient, patient records reside in the account and don't go off to a service, even though it still it remains in the walls of AWS, right? So I think there's a lot of now you know, nuance and complexity that a lot of people didn't really think about uh, a number of years ago. And, and again, as more and more people uh, get to the cloud and as, as more of the you know, Fortune 1000 go to the cloud, they're thinking a lot more deeply about security. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, 
thanks for kind of clearing up some of those uh, those concerns for us here. Because yeah, it said you know sixty percent of the people that, that took the survey saw increased security concerns or had increased security concerns, and it sounds like uh, a lot of it's just an issue of you know misconfiguration and and not having things set up right. So uh, that definitely makes sense. Hey, I want to talk about uh, some of the things with uh, with Valtex. I saw. Uh, you guys were just named a Gartner Cool Vendor in cloud marketing. Uh, what's that all about? Yeah, so uh, it's actually it's it's a great thing. I, we had this a big switch too. A big switch. We were a um, a cool vendor uh, with Gartner, and and it's, and it's great. It says there's a lot of momentum that we're seeing in uh, in the customer community uh, that we're seeing uh, coverage from analysts, uh, and so I think from a, a validation perspective, I think that's a, that's a net positive. As you know, there are a lot of enterprises that they will rely on Gartner's. Uh, point of view uh, before selecting a specific platform. So I think for the mainstream market, that will help us. Um, the early adopters, I think we could <laughs> we were getting anyway, but I think for the mainstream market, uh, that will help us. So I think it's a great validation for the company, and uh, it, clearly in terms of morale and for our customer set, I think it's a it's a great proof point. Yeah, it's awesome. Congrats on that. And so if people want to find out more about Vaultix, uh, where do they go? Very simple, Vaultix.com and. Uh, Try the platform. Uh, if, and if uh, if you're at RSA and want to want to learn more, uh, you know, reach out to us. We we'd love to spend some time together. So those that are listening on just the audio side, uh, v a l t i x uh, dot com. Easy. That way. is correct. Yep. Uh, head over there and, and check that out. Well, um, and yeah, check them out at, at RSA as well. Doug, thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thank you, Doug. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna come back. We got a lot of news to get to, some big stories. So uh, we'll take a quick break. Be right back on Technado with Don Pizzette. This is Kevin. He's studying online for a Microsoft certification using another online IT training service. He's also on his second pot of coffee today to stay awake. And this is Kyle. He's also studying Microsoft but using IT Pro TV. Rather than watching a boring voiceover PowerPoint, he's actually enjoying the training with two hosts in an interactive format. Both Kevin and Kyle have access to virtual labs and practice tests, but Kyle can also get help through a live chat with other IT Pro TV members and his instructors, as well as post to a Q&A forum. He can even search for exactly what he's looking for in the interactive video transcripts, all while paying less than Kevin. Oh, and Kyle can also watch in comfort via Roku app. Kevin and Kyle are both learning IT. But Kyle is enjoying the journey. Want to be more like Kyle? Here are the plans to start your IT Pro TV membership today. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Bazette, and we have another special guest joining us today because we've got uh, an important uh, topic to talk about. So we are joined by Dr. Guillermo Francia from the University of West Florida Center for Cybersecurity. Dr. Francia, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Yeah, and so uh, we're we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Colonial Pipeline uh, and the and the hack that took place. But um, you know, first to kind of uh, set this up a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what you guys do at the the West Florida uh, Center for Cybersecurity? Sure, um, I've been working on uh, cybersecurity for the past uh, sixteen to eighteen years, and. Uh, my work primarily is on, my research area primarily is on industrial control systems. I built a uh, program at, at Jacksonville State University in Alabama and put together an industrial control system laboratory, one of the biggest in the country in 2010, funded with about $400,000 worth of equipment by the National Science Foundation. So my, my work here is mostly on developing some curriculum in industrial control system security and also doing some research in that area. At this point in time, I'm, I actually have been working on automotive, uh, autonomous vehicle security and radio frequency security, uh, the drone security as uh, she would be more familiar with. Sounds good. Well, th then you're you're definitely the right person to talk to uh, this week because the the article that we that we're going to look at here um, is from Wired.com. The Colonial Pipeline hack is a new extreme for ransomware. And so basically, uh, you know, if you've been under a rock, there was a ransomware attack that has basically <laughs> taken down a pipeline that supplies most of the uh, fuel supply to the East Coast. And so, uh, you know, we we know a little bit about about the specifics of this case and and. Uh, and how the malware worked, but uh, you know we can we can talk a little bit in, in general with you uh, about you know what what could have been done to prevent these things. So uh, is is there anything from uh, from this news story that that stands out to you as kind of the glaring mistake that was made that that could have been solved or, or could have been patched to uh, stop this from happening? 
Yeah, if, if this uh, ransomware attack has not been tied up to a critical infrastructure, it would have been a normal ransomware attack. The, the, the problem with this one, what aggravates it, is that it's tied up to critical infrastructure, and it's, it has the possibility to impact millions of lives. Imagine this thing going to, to be a nation state uh, attack in which they blow those pipelines and, and actually blow those uh, control systems and even infiltrate some of our other infrastructure. That, that's the scary thing about this. To a novice like me, you know, I, I'm thinking, oh, well, well, those systems are much more secure. And sure, all these companies can be hacked and, and, and have ransomware and things. But, you know, those kinds of things, power grids and, and oil supplies, those, those things are more secure. But I mean, are you saying they're, they're basically just using the same things that, that other companies are using and are, are just as vulnerable? And, and like you said, it could have been much worse if this had been, uh, been an attack from, from say, a, a nation state. Yeah, exactly. And the, the the thing about this one is that the um, I have the I have a reason to believe that some of the information got exfiltrated already, and this exfiltration of this information could be used sometime in the future to act to actually attack some of our infrastructures, and uh, and that that could actually lead us to to, to more serious trouble. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, right, when we talk about this, because there, there are two sides, right, to most of these attacks. We have the hardened control systems, right, the ICS side of the house, so to speak, where, you know, you've got pipeline control, flow control, uh, pig solutions that are going down the pipeline, assessing things like that. But then you also have the administrative side, right? And more often than not, we see that the attacks are coming in, not on the hardened infrastructure, because it's really hard to get into those systems and do damage. They're well protected, but it's the administrative side where humans are interacting more often than not that we see a lot of these attacks propagating, probably most likely through phishing more often than not, although not exclusively. So, Professor, Doctor, right, is it fair to say that if we focus on really getting the human area, right, the administrative side, the human interaction side, more secure, more focused on awareness and security. While it's not a perfect panacea, are we going to see some sort of drop in the effect of these attacks? Because they're, they're ratcheting up, right? We're seeing more and more of them in supply chains across the world. And if we exclude the nation state side that is clearly hard to defend against, but this is more a criminal activity, it seems like, can we defend more securely? Can we be more effective if we focus on the human element? Is that something you think would make sense? Yeah, I think you raised an excellent point. You know, the, the human element is always the weakest point here in cybersecurity. So if we can actually handle that properly, I think it solves, I would say, maybe 75, 80% of our problems. So you're absolutely right. Taking care of the human element of cybersecurity is, is, is a, a step towards, a big step towards uh, solving this problem. Yeah, uh, so I'm uh, really interested about this as I was reading about this, and A, I agree with you totally, right? We were actually talking about this on the last podcast of how, why do we keep doing these things that we know aren't good for us, especially when it comes to things like ICS and SCADA and I'm expecting different right. outcomes. And they think, oh, well, everything should just be fine. It's right. so nice to be able to sit back in a lounge chair and connect to my administrative functionality inside of these uh, industrial systems and critical infrastructure. It's real nice in theory, except we open ourselves up for a problem. But what really caught me was the idea that, from what I've read, the only thing that's really been affected is the administrative technologies. It it's, hasn't really, as far as what they've released, hasn't touched the OT. But they have to cut the OT off as part of, as part of emergency uh, reactionary measures, right? So because they can't we, ensure we, the right, safety without administrative, oversight. we can't know right now. And until we do, the default mechanism is to say, "Oh, we're just not going to use that." And you see, it's almost like a type of an amplification attack where all I have to do is gain access as an attacker to one small thing that has hooks into those things, and then I can leverage that to a larger attack because now by policy security policy, they have to shut these large things off, and I've effectively amplified my scope of my attack. So it really shows the importance of us starting to do a better job on that smaller side of the, or the less impactful side, as it were, of the, the human interaction with these systems, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, there was a study that was made uh, about uh, yeah, cybersecurity awareness that was conducted on, on, on people 
they, they did some uh, uh, cybersecurity awareness training, and guess how many days it took them to revert back to the same uh, the same ways that they've been doing that is the uh, unsafe and insecure ways. I think if I remember it correctly, about 45, 60 days, and, and they, they, they do the same thing. So, so those trainings needs to be done you know, as frequent as possible. And uh, my, my second point is that I have a feeling that uh, this uh, uh, ransomware attack has been done on the IT side of the house, but it probably the, the reason it was so slow in, in getting back to a normal uh, set of things is because I have a, I'm speculating that some areas on the OT side probably have been infiltrated. But, you, you know, the, the IT and OT, it's traditionally going to be segmented networks. But no matter how you segment this network, there's still possibility that you could actually get to the other side. Unless you act, you act even if you, I would say, even if you air got these things, there's still a possibility that you could get to the other side. But, you know, that, that's another story. So maybe if I could, we can turn our attention. We're still talking about the pipeline and just the impact overall. It's a really big thing, but you, know, you work in some really fascinating areas. You shared with us that you're doing work in self-driving autonomous vehicles in, in radio frequency security, what we think of as drone security today. And these are all areas that, although maybe not on the surface seem related to what's going on, they are interconnected systems and they are systems that we're coming to rely on more and more. I mean, Domino's is, by the way, right? demoing self-driving pizza delivery. This is a big thing, right? That's critical so, infrastructure. It is critical infrastructure. It's pizza. So, you know, they're all kidding aside, though, there are really clearly implications here, right, in many, many areas for these kinds of attacks. And you made the point earlier that there's probably been information exfiltration. We're pretty confident that's happened because in ransomware attacks traditionally, that's the secondary ransom payment is you pay us to get access to the data you still have, and then you pay us to destroy the data that we probably exfiltrated, right, to make that worth our while if we're the bad actor. Are there concerns that you're thinking about forward-looking in the technology areas you're, you're working on now that are similar to these kinds of issues? Are you worried about ransomware attacks in the autonomous and drone space? Are you worried about the impact of interconnected administrative and, and self-maintaining systems and how we oversee them and the ability for not only nation states, but bad actors to intercede and take control? Are, are these areas you're focused on in your research? And if so, yeah. what's going on with that? Maybe you could enlighten us just a little bit. Yeah, to give you an example, that attack in Ukraine that happened a while back, I think in 2016, the black energy attack in Ukraine, it took them a while to actually exfiltrate the data out of those uh, power grid in Ukraine. I think it took them six to eight months to actually build a replica of that tool thing in order to actually execute an attack on the replica before they actually introduce the attack into the real grid. So what scares me at night now is thinking about all these things that's happening in our network, on the internet. Some bad guys have been building, have been collecting, exfiltrating this data, all the vulnerabilities, and, and just building all this knowledge together. At some point in time, somebody will execute that attack that will create some really big, uh, uh, that will hurt us big time. I guess it's the combination, right, of that information, that slow and low attack that yeah. is really just there behind the scenes, gathering that information, yeah. reconnaissance, right? We yeah. would think of it that way. But then the ability to gather that information, put it to use slowly over time, and maybe with a criminal syndicate pairing with a nation state, which is the worst possible outcome, right, the worst possible scenario, leveraging that maybe months, weeks, days, or even years down the road when we don't see it coming, when we're no longer vigilant and we're no longer in this space looking at it, it's a really significant issue, right? One we got to think about. And, so. and I'm, I'm wondering, like, how much 
uh, like true red teaming operations are they doing against these type of things to look for those types of attacks Find those and warnings do those stuff. threat models that are uh, going to be from things like nation state actors and those known ransomware entities that are out there that might be targeting them. How deep are they getting into the weeds on that to try to get ahead of this thing? Or now they just now going, oh, no, we got to hit the panic button. And now they're starting to ramp up because of it. Yep, uh, that's that's a very uh, good point. The, the issue here is that we cannot just do a red team exercise on this uh, uh, operational devices. So that's that's one issue. Uh, the other issue with this one is we have so many legacy devices that are still out there, and replacing all these legacy devices will 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 cost a lot of money. But those, those are the two things. So, so what I'm thinking is to actually build, if they'll allow us to build some national laboratories, maybe two or three national laboratories that could actually create a small replica out of these things. Uh, in, 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 the, uh, in the technology lingo, it's called the digital twins. We could build some digital twins out of these things and try to run a red team exercise on this on these digital points, I think we could actually somehow alleviate or mitigate those 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 uh, attacks. So, so I just want to ask you one last question here. Uh, you know, getting back to, to to this specific event, you know, obviously we're going to find out some more over the next few weeks about what went into this and and uh, the steps that are being taken about it. But as we kind of wait for that to to come out. Where do you think we are as a country, the United States, in terms of addressing these things? I know, you know, Adam and I were talking uh, off the air before we started about, uh, you know, some of the steps Biden's taken with the task force and things like that. I mean, do you think that that's enough? Uh, what, what steps would you take if you were in charge here? Yeah, one thing what, what I'm going to do is to actually get some more people trained in vessel control system security. That's a big thing. Uh, that we don't have so many people, uh, uh, so many individuals that are trained in this area, protecting this uh, industrial control systems. Uh, the other thing is the thing that I already mentioned earlier, create some digital points to actually run this uh, red teaming exercise, penetration testing on this on this type of, uh, of the, on this type of critical infrastructure. So digital twins, just maybe to translate right for people that may not be familiar with the terminology, we would think of it as a live fire yeah. environment where we could essentially replicate that infrastructure, but we could do so either virtually or physically. And we could then go hands on to Daniel's point. We can red team and pen test against it. Uh, but that's that's what we're talking about when we talk about digital twinning. Yeah. Right? Is the ability to reproduce that activity. And have mm -hmm. some sort of parity to the actual. Yeah, OT to make systems. to make it as close yeah. to the real thing as possible, right. but on a small scale. Right, right on a small scale. Well, that makes a lot of sense because I mean, this is this is something that's only going to become bigger uh, as the years go on, and, and more and more systems, uh, you know, are accessible online and, and things that weren't before uh, in, in the in the infrastructure, uh, you know, pipeline. It, well, pipeline's the wrong word here, but yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, you know, in in that uh, supply chain and things can be can be hacked. That's definitely. I'm hearing that at. security is expensive, complex, and we suck at it. Yeah, but it's important. Uh, more, yeah. more, stay tuned. More to yeah, come. Yeah, yeah, it's great. <laughs> well, Dr. Francia, thank you so much for for joining us, and and really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to offer your insight because, uh, you know, you've got uh, certainly a lot of experience in this area. So again, appreciate you taking the time today. You're most welcome. Glad to meet you guys. Yeah, happy to so meet much. you too. And we'll uh, we'll let you go because it sounds like a big thunderstorm's coming your way, so uh, you might need to <laughs> to take cover. Yeah, I mean, you're outside right now. It looks yeah. like so. Beautiful countryside back there. Yeah, mountain view is amazing. Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> well, thanks again, and uh, and we'll talk to you again soon when when the next one of these happens. Hopefully not, but uh, hopefully not too soon. Yeah, we'll talk to you then. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, but uh, we'll be right back after this and get to the rest of the news on Technado with Don Pizet. So you've tried online IT training, but it's boring, out of date, and pricey. Well, IT Pro TV is always engaging, always fresh, and plans start at just twenty nine dollars a month. It's online IT training that doesn't suck. Start today at itpro.tv. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Bazette, and we've got some regular news to get to, not uh, <laughs> some regular, not news. things that are shutting not down. So stuff. yes, the apocalypse is yeah. happening, but did get you hear about seat. this? Well, we needed seat. that last break to go out and get gas. Yeah, so yeah. we're all set now. We're good. Got a whole bathtub full. Uh, <laughs> All right, this next one comes from bleepingcomputer.com. Windows Defender bug fills Windows 10 boot drive with thousands of files. Oh and so my. I read this first thinking, 
this was some kind of hack or something. But this is not a hack. This is just a bug, right? Yeah, this is just like you know Microsoft essentially sucking do, at what they do. Yeah, they, they just didn't really pay attention very carefully. Is really the issue. Yeah, I can see developers at Microsoft going, "Hey, Billy, I'm looking at this code you pushed. Um, do you think that? Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and so are all the files that this is creating just erroneous things that that you don't need? I mean, they, it's like thirty garbage. gigs. Of, um, so total you know, they are they are totally totally garbage. Just so junk. what essentially happens is I actually you know I read this. I'm like, oh, this is silly <laughs> so i went and i looked in my my uh, particular directory where this would happen on my machine uh, i've got three files that normally would be there right in this uh, scans history directory where you would look for windows defender uh typically you know maybe three five files at the most something like that nothing to speak of this is creating potentially thousands now let's put this in perspective right thousands of files that are going to be really really small right? Maybe a kilobyte each. We're talk not talking about a huge amount of stuff, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, well, it could take up to 30 gigs of space. Well, who doesn't have 30 gigs of space these days that they can't afford to get rid of? Man, my Chromebook is just <laughs> swimming in kilobytes. Um, you know, <laughs> space but, left. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, there is a real legitimate issue here, right? If we're talking about small systems that are probably running without a lot of storage space, this potentially could be an issue, right? But for the average person, you know, you're using a laptop, you got a terabyte hard drive these days, you wouldn't even notice this i mean honestly but it's been fixed already that's the good news right so it's a bug that was fixed in the sense that it happened there's a new version of windows defender all you got to do is make sure you got the right version the new version if not download the new version through windows update happens automatically by the way as long as you don't mess with automatic updates and you're good <laughs> so, so it's, it's almost a non-starter yeah. thing but it's a funny thing because look even the best of intentions and the best of qa qc processes you miss things. That's why we call them bugs, because not all of them get found all the time. Yeah, I mean, so if you had an older system where you didn't have as much space, you know, yeah, that, that yeah. might have caused a little bit of problem for or you. Or you're like me and you got like 20 VMs. <laughs> yeah, and if you and if you don't, you know, if you're just a novice user, you don't know, hey, can I delete these things? Right. So, yeah. you know, yeah. so that's definitely good. I've actually seen this kind of problem before. Really? Uh, yeah, like years ago, like maybe like 14 years ago, actually, I was working on a help desk, you know, just getting in, started my career. And people were calling me at the help desk saying, oh, my hard drive is showing that it's full. And when I started drilling down through the folders and looking at sizes, I found the Windows update folder was chock full of old crap that no longer was needed. So I was like, oh, we have to delete all this. Yeah. Hey, look at all the space you have now. So apparently... You know, all things old are new again, and, and now and they're just doing it by policy. Yeah, and as someone that works in the Adobe suite on a daily basis, the amount of uh, of cache and, and log files and things that, that Adobe creates, I mean, I have no space at any oh, time, yeah. and so I'm constantly going in there and clearing that out. So, you know, luckily I'm on a Mac, so this didn't affect me. Oh, but, no, no, no. So, luckily. Adam, so did you actually, uh, you saw additional files that were created in yours? No, no, when I check mine, I'm good. You're I, on the new? I, I did not have an issue. I only have three. There's usually between three okay. and five files that would normally exist in that red in that uh, particular directory at any given time. So I don't have a problem. It's easy for you to check. You just have to go to that directory. But the reality is it's even easier. Go to the settings in your system in Windows Update and look at the settings for Windows Defender. Just make sure you don't run that older version. If you do, just update and you'll solve the problem and it's gone. You don't even have to worry about it. Do yeah. like me, just don't run Defender. Just yeah. or, or just get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Or just Windows. Turn that thing yeah. off. Yeah. Don't run Windows. <laughs> That's just stupid. Yeah, so it's 1.1.18100.6 was the uh, was version the old was the version that is causing yeah. this issue. Correct. So, but but just turn on automatic updates and it'll it'll solve itself. Problem solved. Yeah, it'll solve itself. Or Microsoft's just trolling us. That's what it is. Why are we even <laughs> talking about this? <laughs> If this is not an issue. All right. Uh, our next article. <laughs> this is not an issue. I mean, yeah. it doesn't exist. It's Who fixed. Cares? It was an it's issue fine. for like five seconds. They fixed it. It's over. All right. Our next article comes to us from tech.slash.org. Microsoft shelves Windows 10X. It's not shipping in 2021. And oh my that's God. you go it's on to, I have to go out and buy new presents for everybody now. <laughs> it might not be shipping ever, it It might like. not be, given what they said. And that's so what? Right. Uh, remind people, because I, I know we talked about 10X uh, several months back uh, on, on this show, mm -hmm. but can you remind us? It's about like dual screens and stuff, right? Um, yeah, well, so kind of. You know, if, if you're familiar with the Google OS, the Chromebook OS, right? If you're familiar with that, the idea is basically this was Microsoft's competitive answer to what do we do about Chromebooks? Now, you know, a year or two years, three years ago, Microsoft, and for a while actually, it's probably a decade now, Microsoft has been concerned about the fact that Google's coming for them in the operating system space. I mean, this is Microsoft's bread and butter, at least until the cloud anyway. It was Microsoft's bread and butter. And as a result, they were worried that the Chromebook and the OS, the Google OS that goes with it, was essentially going to take over the business and perhaps the education space in particular, because that's really where you see these things primarily. 
But, you know, funny, right? We worry about these things, and yet somehow they never happen. Just like we really haven't ever run out of IPv4 addresses. Dan and I were talking about this before the, the podcast. And so the reality is Microsoft was working on this thing for years trying to figure out how to crack this code. And then along comes this little thing called coronavirus, right? Don't want to laugh about a global pandemic. But in this respect, it's kind of interesting because the shift we saw over the last year and a half with the global pandemic leads Microsoft to see, you know what? Everybody's buying Windows laptops now because they got to work from home. They're not buying Chromebooks. And it's no longer an issue. And that's really why they shelved 10X, because A, they don't have a need for it, and B, they can't get it right. It's taken them 10 years, and they still can't figure out the form factor, the dual screen support, Peter, you were talking about, and this whole idea of how we get these features into a, a relatively minimal hardware platform. And is that's it, really what this is all about. Is this something, Adam, do you know, are they taking, are they trying to take Windows 10 and, and take features out, or are they building this from scratch? So, yes. <laughs> so that's part of the problem. They're doing both, right? Okay. So it's supposed to be a stripped-down version of Windows 10, less features aligned with a smaller hardware footprint, but it's also supposed to have a unique code base that will separate it out from the traditional Windows 10 environment we think of. And the problem is they went kind of like this. They said, well, we'll build something new, but we'll use Windows 10 as a starting point, and then we'll try to merge the two at some point in the future, and they never quite got back to this. Yeah. They're still kind of like this, and that's the problem. Well, and it seems like the market's there because we, you know, we've seen the Chromebook, you know, take off, and it fills that that market for, um, you know, developing countries, for schools, things like that. So, so there's the market there. But I'm wondering, like we've talked about Windows uh, running on on ARM before. I mean, is that kind of maybe a better step to kind of be in between because then you can get to, you know. Smaller I, devices, cheaper devices. I think it's better for Microsoft to say, you know what? Maybe Google can just have that segment of the market. <laughs> We're going to focus on actually that figuring that out. That how they play the game. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing, right? Then we get stuff like the Windows Defender bug because they're not paying attention yeah. to stuff they should be doing. And I'm not saying it's a direct cause and effect. Well, let me step back. I actually am. What, <laughs> what I am suggesting, though, is, you know, you could be really good at a few things. You can't be really good at everything. And I think Microsoft's problem historically as a company is that they always tried to be good at a lot of things and they didn't always get everything right. And this is one of those areas where, you know, if you don't get it right, there's so many other things you're getting right already. The, the desktop OS experience in business, cloud, I mean, let's be honest, they are, you know, handing Google their lunch in the cloud space, right? Nobody thinks yeah. about Google when you talk about public and private cloud providers. They're not at the top of anybody's list. And so as a result, right, they're getting what they need done and handling their business. They should just continue doing that. And, you know, let's not worry about trying to be on every form factor on the planet. The People just don't care as long as you get it right where they live. And where we live today in business, in education, even in emerging markets, is primarily, is, <laughs> exactly, is, win, is WinLinks or whatever yeah. you call it, Windows, um, is on, you know, a Windows-based device, like many of us, not yeah. all of us stand this point, but many of us use from a productivity standpoint, you know, I'm not going to go buy a Windows-based Chromebook because you're making it available. I'm going to stick with what I know. I want the full Windows 10 package. So I, I just think they're making a mistake if yeah. they're trying to do too much is what I'm saying. Well, I think the existence of Bing.com proves that they will continue <laughs> to fight this fight. Yeah. They don't give up once they've got a hobby horse, do they? They, they do not. They do not. That's true. That's true. That's they just fired true. the last Zune guy. Plus, I, I love how hey, Adam hey, was hey, about hey, to. Don't get personal about it. I love it. how Adam was like completely ready to contradict himself, and then he was like, no, I'll, I'll correct that. I was like, what are you, one of those old mafia uh, movies where you're like, no disrespect, but you're a douchebag. Absolutely disrespect I'm at that just, point. Well, I am disrespected. So going all the way back to when we were talking to Doug, I think the best thing to do for cloud security is just go on Google Cloud because no one's there. I mean, yeah. that's like for the longest no time there were there. no Mac viruses. Nobody's because gonna find you because nobody yeah. goes. Nobody cares. Exist. And once yeah. you move to Google, then all of a sudden it's ransomware on Google Cloud all day long. Exactly. That's how it's gonna go. Hey, you know what they say? Like a no. hunter follows where his prey goes. That is true. And if you move there, they will move there. Exactly. They will find you. Oh, that's right. They will find you. All right. Well, this next article is fun. So let's go ahead over to our next segment, Behind Bars. Oh. Sounds like something for Dan. Break oh, yeah. the law and you'll go to jail. Yay. <laughs> Yeah, Daniel should be behind I've been bars, institutionalized. But, yeah. you know? I'm yeah. like Brooks in Shawshank Redemption. Or what? I, I can't live outside the bars. Yeah. I got to ask to go to the yeah. bathroom. Yeah, yeah, I can't do it. Say what the nay who. Yeah. All right, uh, this article comes to us. Uh, this is on ArsTechnica.com. Uh, guilty verdict for ex-Netflix exec. Uh, Netflix IT exec forced employees to use products from vendors that bribed him. 
Shocking. So, so <laughs> here's my question: What's the point of of you know being an exec if you can't? You know, do a bunch of cocaine get a little and take some kickbacks. Yeah, little, yeah. I, 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 I joke, but I want to see the picture of them like barging in his office and he's like dust all over his face. <laughs> like, oh no, it's just like Tony, um, yeah, yeah, Tony Montana yeah, yeah. version of the Netflix uh, scene. So, isn't, uh, I, I mean, isn't this just business in a lot of cases, though? I mean, in, in seriousness, that you know, in, in it, it government, was in the 1970s, I, yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. just without getting too you know detail, but I, you know. It's it's unfair to say is it business right all, all over the place absolutely not but you know does this stuff go on I mean absolutely. look we'd be lying if it didn't if we didn't say it does but you know the funny part about this I think two things right one you know he forced I mean I read that article I'm like all right so it's bad enough you're taking the kickbacks but he was taking kickbacks from small companies right because big companies a know better and b because they don't have to bribe you because they're big enough that you're going to use their technology yeah. anyway so he's taking kickbacks from companies that probably couldn't make it in the Netflix world because they're just their technology isn't probably and they'll do whatever it takes to get their foot in the door with at, a, with a Netflix. Exactly. They'll, yeah. they'll do that. Well, so, that, that just know. washes it all away. Hey, well, <laughs> right. So he's doing that, but then he's also forcing people below him. And I even, you know, they even say in the article, well, they they actually were forced to use a competitive product that was worse, and that they'd already paid like yeah. the other product. The other was better. product. But yeah. he said, no, use this one as well because I mean, they're paying me. How stupid can you possibly be? It's one thing to say we don't have a, a thing for this hole. I'm going to give you something to fill this hole. We've got five things filling yeah. these holes already. I'm going to give you number six, and you which have is the to worst use that one. one. And yeah. nobody's going to pay attention or know. You know, this is well, like Don funny. making us use Zoom it, well, or it's new funny, Teams you know, when yeah, we had you're Zoom. You're saying that these companies would not get big enough to like. They, not have they to would never back, get their foot in the right? door. But they are they're not a good product, right? So be a better product and use that as your way. Well, compete, to get your right, right. compete the right way. Do, do compete. If you're just going to contribute to the problem, then I, I hope you die a thousand deaths <laughs> when it comes to your company anyway because, A, you're your, making your company, an inferior not company. You as a person. Oh, yeah, I no. don't want people dead. But your company should totally go the way of the dodo. Because you're making an inferior product and you're willing to do shady business practices well, to promote it. That's so, a good question, Daniel. So, do you, you know, this guy's going to jail and yeah. he's going to pay for oh, it. He should. Yeah. 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 But the the question is, do you think that there should be penalties for those businesses that Absolutely. Then, yeah, went out and said, I mean, because they're, they're just as guilty as this at, guy. At the very opinion. least, there should be monetary penalties that, like, you have engaged in unethical business practices and we're going to try to censor you in some way, shape, or form so that other people do not follow suit. Well, then let's dox them, shall we? <laughs> I don't know about we doxing could. people. Well, no, they're in, I mean, it's well, in the it article. It depends on if they're publicly I don't want traded, people going to their company and throwing rocks at them. Daniel or said. But there's no, usually a censure. No, he did not. There's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But the government is the arm of the law that does those things. Yeah, but got, you read this, and the guy was, he only got 500000 So he obviously wasn't that good at what he did. And he got some stock options, and then he sunk it into a house, and they took the house because they said, well, well it's because he got process, yeah. proceeds of illicit gains. We didn't say he was smart. We just said well, no, he was greedy. But just, you know. I mean, and it was funny because apparently he goes to Yahoo after he leaves Netflix right. for like a year. Netflix sues him and then drops the suit. Then the feds step in, right? Because they didn't settle the suit. They just right. dropped it. Yeah. The feds pick it up, step in. Well, and it was a criminal charge at that point. It. Yeah. Well, it's you're, he's going to jail for like probably 30 years. Yeah. I mean, it's it's said at least crazy. 20, I think. Yeah. Right? Isn't the guy already in enough trouble? He went from Netflix to Yahoo. <laughs> I mean, that, that was so that was punishment is, enough. Is Yahoo right there. owned by Verizon? Well, remember that was the sale we talked about last yeah. week. Yeah. Yahoo and and AOL were yeah. sold to a private private equity, right? Or, gotcha. Or, yeah. Gotcha. So uh, yeah, so that's that's it's, it, there. It's you're, you're you know you're buying the data. They yeah, own. Yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. buying. There's no other asset there. You're right. buying the data, but. But yeah, but it's just interesting. I mean, he gets nothing to speak of, doesn't really do a good job at covering his tracks. And then on top of it, he winds up losing everything because he just he can't keep his mouth shut. I mean, it just doesn't, you know. But just running back to my original question, how is this any different than a, than a drug company taking the, the doctors to, you know, Hawaii for a, a conference or thing? I mean, it's just the fact that this is just checks. That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, it isn't. is <laughs> the answer, but, uh, you know, those but people there, aren't But there are some rules that govern some of that. In this industry, yeah. right, the way he did this, there are no rules that govern it. It's just basically against the law. You, yeah. In other words, you, know, you can't entertain, right, that person that way and, and expect him not to catch someone's attention. But there are rules that govern how you could do that and under what conditions. Here, it was just blatant. You know, it wasn't yeah. even like he didn't even try to hide it. it you no, know, he was this nepotism. Did he get his position yeah. through? Like, I just like, how did he yeah. rise? His last name is Netflix. Yeah, yeah. weird. Exactly. Now, that's why they make the hook. What do they, what do they uh, say about an NDA? Uh, yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah, they do. But what do they say about being promoted to your level of incompetence? 
Yeah. This guy must have been he, super. He made accountable. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he made it there. He did. He reached his level. Well, good for him. Yeah. And uh, enjoy good, prison. Good for yeah. <laughs> Do you get Netflix in prison? <laughs> Maybe. You know, he'll probably yeah. get it. For He's free. like, I worked on this show. Yeah. yeah. Like I hate that show. <laughs> <laughs> they shut Son my of login a down. Bitch. <laughs> Maybe there'll be a show about him. We'll yeah. look for that. Netflix will produce a docu series about the guy. <laughs> I mean, Netflix is spiteful in their they series. Are. I mean, they made they that are. that last blockbuster show. Yeah. Uh, specifically, I think just to kind of taunt Blockbuster, oh, like, yeah. hey, remember when uh, we we're killing me- you? Yeah, <laughs> remember when we we'd buy you for you know a billion dollars, and you were like, no, yeah, you should have took that deal, huh? Yeah, where we and to quote Happy Gilmore, where were you on that one, dipshit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get in the hole. That's right. That's a different quote. Uh, <laughs> different quote. All right, quote. Hey, same movie though. Yeah. Same movie. Same movie. Yeah. Price is wrong, bitch. <laughs> Best line from that See. movie, right? Uh, all right, we'll let that you know. Anyway. <laughs> I think we all won, the fans. <laughs> yes. There's a webinar coming up, yes, so I can yes. get to that. Uh, take your Windows Virtual Desktop to the next level with Azure Monitor, maximizing availability and performance. And that's Mike Roderick going to be doing that Thursday, May 20th, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, head over to itpro.tv slash webinars. You can sign up for that one. You can also see all the past webinars, like the one that Adam just did on navigating the ISC search. I yeah. uh, did that last week. Mike so. and I. Yep, that's archived there now. You can check it out, itpro.tv slash webinars, and have some fun with that. And while you're on that internet, head over to technay.do or technado.com if you're boring. And you can see all the great uh, things we have here as well as, uh, you know, listen to and subscribe to Technado, and you can contact us. We love getting your feedback and uh, suggestions for articles. And if you hit that big orange button in the upper right-hand corner, it says Sponsored by IT Pro TV, you can head over there and get a coupon code for 30% off the lifetime of your personal plan. And you can request a team trial if you're on a team and want to see the great features available to businesses uh, from IT Pro TV. That's over at uh, techna.do and uh, technado.com. <laughs> if we must, right? Yeah. I, I like how you begrudgingly. Technado.com, jeez. I told Dayon, I was Who like, hey, I gave you a shout-out in, uh, in the podcast last week. Did and you really? He's like, oh, really? That's cool. And then, it, then you know, he was like, 10 no, minutes later, after he cool. listened to it, he's like, I hate you. And, <laughs> I will kill your family. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. Metaphorically. I don't know. I think he was There's guns involved. Yeah. <laughs> he's in, he's in Duct tape. Lake, so and he's he's black, driving over. And black headbags. And <laughs> yeah. He, who was that, that astronaut who put on a diaper to drive to, oh, yeah, oh, from man. Florida to Texas? That to, was yeah. nuts. Yeah. Dayon's just strapping yeah. on a diaper <laughs> right now. And coming yeah, for this I can get to Florida from Utah in Luckily, this 12 hours going to speed I'm going to be doing. This pipeline <laughs> thing, though, should show him. Uh, slow him down. Slow him down. Good luck filling up. Only when he crosses over from the west to the Say, Texas has got some they oil. Got gas. Little do we all know, yeah. Peter's actually an elite hacker and hacked that OT system to stop Dayon yeah. from is coming to kill us. Saving yeah. my family. That's right. That's right. It was, it was preservation. Yeah. Well, thank you so much to Doug Murray um, from Baltics and also to Dr. Guillermo Francia from the University of West Florida Center for Cybersecurity. I uh, appreciate having you guys both on today and uh, great insights on, on both of those topics. And thank you to Adam for filling in today. I appreciate having you. Thanks. Thanks uh, for making me Don too. Sounds good, and we uh, we'll see if we have Don back next week. We'll see if we allow him, or if we keep Adam. I'll figure that out. See and how we'll, the uh, the screen test went. Yeah, exactly. We'll get the ratings in. Okay. And uh, we'll see you guys next week right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.